You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1, and we are going to be in the books of 1 and 2 Timothy all this morning for the next uh, 45-ish minutes, or what do we got, an hour? Um, So turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Um, we are in the habit of uh, th- this reading portions of Scripture and not putting it on the board just to, um, in a way, encourage or force you to, to turn into your own Bible, to encourage you to bring your own Bible. Even Jay brought his own Bible today. It's like one of those little fluffy fold-out kid ones, but he brought it, so you could bring yours. Anyways, First uh, Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 this, this is Paul's words to uh, Timothy, and it says, Here's a trustworthy uh, saying that deserves full acceptance. So this should be good. Christ came into the world to save sinners, for whom I'm the worst. But that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ might display his immense pra- patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And then he says, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well. That's a reoccurring theme we'll talk about today. Fight the battle well. Continue in the faith. Uh, Verse 19 says, holding on to the faith with a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to their faith. But let's pray this morning. God, we praise your name. We thank you that you've given us um, salvation and that we, Lord, can fight the battle. We can continue in the faith. We can walk a life worthy of your calling. And God, we are just so grateful that you called us sinners, those that have made mistakes, and you've called us as your people. You've called us and redeemed us so that we could have life and to the fullest. God, be with us this morning. Open our minds and our hearts to receive wisdom and knowledge from the books of First and Second Timothy. God, we praise your name. We love you. And everybody screamed. Amen. All right. Uh, would you like to see kind of an, it's not really an embarrassing picture, but it's kind of a trip for me down memory lane. Um, maybe some of you didn't know this, but um, I, back in like 1996, which was my freshman year of college, so I'm a little bit older than you probably, uh, some of you at least, um, I was in a band. I really was. And so here's the picture of me in the band. That's uh, the, the first guy there on the, on the right. That's Ryan. He's our front man. And then I'm all the way to the left playing. Do you see the conga there? It's probably, it's probably not the best picture for projecting, but that's me playing the conga. And, um, and so I was in a band. It was really fun. I kind of learned to play conga all on my own. And from like learning to play the conga, I got really interested in the drum kit, bought a drum kit, kind of self-taught myself how to play drums, Never became very good, but I could keep a beat and do very simple beats and keep the band grooving and funking and singing our tunes. And um, we we thought we were pretty cool. And we went out and got um, like pictures taken and this little brochure of our band. And so check this out. Look at how cool I look. That's me in a band. How cool is that? And the name of our band, which is why I'm kind of telling this kind of embarrassing story because I look kind of i guess i look pretty cool up there anyways the name of the band was timothy's burden which i'm sure you've all heard of because we played like three coffee shops and a church way back in the day you've heard of us right yeah we were pretty huge um 
and we, we broke up the band when I had, I moved, uh, actually moved from, uh, it was in New Mexico, then I moved to Utah. So I only lived in New Mexico for a year and was a part of this band for a year. And it was actually really fun. We weren't famous, but we had a lot of fun playing and practicing and learning music. And we were a Christian band, um, but we didn't want to be overly Christian. Like we weren't a worship band and we had this set of music that started with help by the Beatles. Anybody know that one? Um, and then it kind of went into this idea that we are all in need of help. And then like the very other songs, I forget the whole set list, but the idea was to take someone through the process of kind of knowing salvation and this kind of bizarre, uh, cool way of the songs that we chose. I, th- I thought it was pretty cool at the time. So it took you from like, you know, you need help into like having the assurance of salvation in Jesus. And our band's name was Timothy's Burden. And so that just gave us opportunity because people would say, what's, what's Timothy's Burden? What, what is that? What does that mean? And so we'd get to share with them what that meant. And so we'd always kind of share this idea that our front man, who's at the top, his name's Ryan, um, he he kind of had this idea like, oh, a sweet name for a band would be Timothy's Burden, because Timothy's Burden is actually our burden, which we'll kind of talk about today as we talk about First and Second Timothy, which is this burden that Paul gives to Timothy. And so if you know Paul, St. Paul, the Apostle Paul, you know that he wrote a big chunk of the New Testament. He was the evangelist, the super apostle, um, and he did all these great works, planted many churches, and then kind of hands the reins to Timothy to pastor the church in Ephesus and kind of carry out the work that he was doing, which became, in some senses, Timothy's burden to be like Paul, to carry on the faith, to fight the good fight, to hold strong in the faith, to lead people, to, to plant churches. And so that was Timothy's burden, which I think... In a, in a grand sense, that's all of our burden, to keep the faith, to, to share the faith, to um, be Christians and, and good Christians so that the world may know who we are. So that's our burden. So how cool is that, that your pastor was in a band once? <laughs> Sweet. All right, good. So let's continue with the middle Sunday school now that you know how cool I am. Um, uh, with the study of First and Second Timothy, um, that's the topic for all this month. We're going to look at both books. Today we're going to do a big overview. Uh, we'll get to talking really fast and overview um, both books, but that, that's a little bit later. And uh, if you're new to the Mill Sunday School, welcome. Thanks for being here on time. Um, there's, I think on all the tables, some of the tables, you might have to hunt for one, is a little yellow card. It's a first-timer card. If you would like to give us your information, we could email you, tell you about other things going on around here with the Mill Sunday School and the Mill, which is our main meeting on a Friday night. It's, it's where we do worship and a sermon. And so Sunday School, what you're here now, is, is more of a teaching. And so we, we kind of dive in and do, we'll do some discussion today and uh, talk about things on a level that's more of a teaching than it is a sermon. So that's that. So today we're looking at these books, First and Second Timothy. And in a lot of ways, um, these books are kind of like the last words Paul has to say to Timothy. We know that these books were written very late in Paul's life, uh, maybe just a year or the year he actually was died. It was, we think he was killed um, under Roman persecution. We'll get to more talking about that a little bit more later. But this big idea is that these are kind of his final words to someone he was mentoring, someone who looked up to him. And so I want to give you a discussion question just to get your mind thinking about the, the directions of First and Second Timothy and the big scope of these books. That These are, in, in a way, these are the last letters Timothy probably received from Paul. And so it's like words of wisdom, parting wisdom and advice 
for someone that looks up to you. And so I want to give you a discussion question. I think discussion is something we can do here in the middle Sunday school and the round tables help us. So find some people. If you're, um, if you're not sitting at a table, just jump in a table. They, they will always just welcome you in. If someone says, no, you can't sit here, well, then come up here and sit with me. They're, they're a bad table. So don't sit with bad tables. But um, anyways, here's your discussion question. Keep it general. Keep it broad. Maybe just uh, you don't have to like write it out, but just some ideas. What ideas would you say? Um, so here's the question. What parting advice would you give to a younger Christian who looks up to you? Maybe you uh, can think of someone in middle school that looks up to you as a Christian and you know, you're going to move, you're going to leave. And so what parting advice would you give them? Or let's just say someone's the same age of you, as you, but they're younger in Christ. They, they've become a Christian um, very recently and you're about to leave. And so what parting advice would you give to a younger Christian who looks up to you? So just list some things. Ready, get set, discuss. All right, I got um, a microphone here in case anyone wants to share. I was just talking to my friend Aaron Eulin, and he said, just very practical advice, he said, uh, if he had advice to give to a younger Christian, so he was leaving and had to just give some advice to someone who looked up to him, he just say, says, keep going to church, stay in the fellowship, which I thought was, that's great practical advice, just keep going to church. But did you have your hand raised? Okay, good. I actually have a couple of things. Uh, first and most importantly, start coming to Mill Sunday School. Obviously. Duh. Gosh. <laughs> Advertisement, they're already here. We're also taking leadership applications. <laughs> That's it. Uh, For 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 real though, um, (laughs) avoid false teachings. Teachings that sound really good. That uh, you you know, and that's that's where getting plugged into community would would come into play. Is uh, someone tells you, hey, not only is it about eternal life, but it's about money too. You gotta gotta look out for that. So watch out for false doctrines, wrong teachings. Good. Anybody else? Yes. Thank you, Bo. Um, during the Crusades, one of the popes told one of the bishops, kill them all and let God sort them out. When they were doing, or they're trying to figure out who are Muslims, who are Christians, who okay. are Jews, just, yeah. Oh, so, so that's bad advice. Okay. Yeah, don't, don't follow that. But <laughs> a pope said that, so. So be careful who you follow. Okay. Maybe like Aaron, like, like avoid false teachings, bad teaching. Yes, Aaron, run over here. <clears throat> Thank you. Um, one thing I would say is don't get discouraged by how broken the church is. Um, there's a lot of times that you'll find uh, people you think are hypocritical or they're sure. just struggling or they're just battling through their own issues. And that's not, a, that's not the example of God and his love all the time. So it's remembering the only person who is going to be perfect is God. And don't get discouraged when somebody hurts you because that's an opportunity for you to grow closer to God and for your faith to grow even more. Yeah, it's good. Really good. Yes. Go ahead. Read C.S. Lewis. Read C.S. Lewis. That's it. That's great. That's great advice. That's what someone told me when I was a young Christian. You know, they told me Mere Christianity was a really good book, and so I read it, and I was like, yeah, that was a really good book. So yeah, read the Bible. Read, read the Christian writers. Go to church. Don't be confused if you find hypocrisy in the church. Um, so that's, that's some of the advice we'll see today as we overview First and Second Timothy. But I thought first, um, just kind of big picture stuff. Um, looking at these books, there's six chapters in First Timothy, four chapters in Second um, Timothy. But just know, be aware that those chapter markings weren't there when this book was originally written. This book was originally written as a letter. Yeah, so someone 
namely Paul, sat down and wrote a letter to Timothy. And so he, when we think about that, I think we can't forget that this is a letter, an ancient letter, probably written around 64, 65, 67 AD, like 2,000-ish years ago. And it's a letter. Is it written to you? No, but it is definitely written to us. And we could hold this view that these letters are Scripture, that these letters are sacred, that these letters in some way are infallible and inerrant. These are big theological words we sometimes place upon Scripture. In fact, this letter itself, and is it 2 Timothy 3.16 that says, All Scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And so in this very letter, Paul is referring to how sacred Scripture is. And, and so anyways, the, this bigger statement that I'm kind of rambling as I'm spitting it out is that the letter of First and Second Timothy, and I would argue the whole Bible, is not written to us, but it's for us. And it's, it's a saying that I, if you've been coming to Sunday school uh, for a while, you've probably heard me say it before, because whenever we start specifically looking at a specific book in the Bible, I always seem to mention this because it's, it's extremely important. It's paramount to know that this book, First and Second Timothy, are not written to us. It's written to Timothy from Paul. And so we have to know that. We have to get that into our minds and, and know that there's, there's sometimes not always this equation like, oh, the Bible says it, I believe it, that's it. I mean, that's kind of a, a bumper sticker thing you could put on your bumper sticker. I think people would know what you were saying when you, when you would say that, that you just believe in the Bible, you believe it's true. But really getting down to the nitty gritty and saying, oh, the Bible just says that I believe it's true. Well, how, what do you do with certain passages when it's like, greet Priscilla and Aquila? You know, like Timothy, greet, greet them when you, when you go. And it's like, well, yeah, we should find those Priscilla's and Aquila's and, and then go out and greet them because the Bible says it and I believe it and that's that. And it's like, no, it's, it's not. This, this book isn't written to you, but it, it is written for us. And so we need the tools of exegesis, what, it, what it's saying, hermeneutics, what it means to, so we could apply it for us. So that's just a big point, but we'll kind of come back to that, um, that idea in just a few minutes. But know that it's written by Paul. We think that Paul was probably in prison. Here's a picture of him in chains writing on a scroll. Um, we, we think that he was probably in Rome writing this letter to Timothy, who was the pastor of Ephesus, which is quite a ways away. I'll show a map in just a second. Um, there is, whenever you read a commentary, does anybody have commentaries? Great, lots of people do. This is like one-volume commentaries or like full sets of commentaries or online commentaries are great places to go to get someone else's comments on the, the passages you're reading. And so I always say, read it first, read the context first, and, and then go look at commentaries. And sometimes commentaries will be more liberal and they'll say, oh, there's this liberal scholarship that says that, oh, maybe this letter wasn't even written by Paul himself. And, and that's, that was in a few of the commentaries I read, but no one took them very seriously. So we should know that uh, Paul, we, we just think that Paul did write this letter to Timothy, clearly says that in the text. There's clear things where it's like, Timothy, do this and that and greet this person and that person. And when you come visit me, bring my cloak and stuff like that. So it's like if someone was writing this on behalf of Paul, they would be very sinister to include some of those details. And to me, it's just like questioning that would be like questioning, like I'm talking to you and you're like, hey, yeah, I got up this morning, I took a shower, drove myself here, and then now I'm drinking a cup of coffee. And I just look at you and you're like, oh, really? Didn't you actually take a bath? And didn't you actually get a ride here? And isn't that, in fact, tea and not coffee? You would just look at me and like, dude, come on, just 
Anyways, so um, we'll hold these letters at face value and say Paul wrote them to Timothy. And so from now on, that, that's what we'll just say. And there's things in there that um, well, we should hold this as scripture. But then once again, we should hold this as, as a letter that's not to us, but it is for us. Because um, on Wednesday, we had this, there's this group of Sunday school leaders that uh, we usually come over to my house uh, the first week of the month. And we talk over um, the topic at hand and we get ideas and we kind of... Uh, plan the route at which we're going to do the rest of this month. Um, and so we started talking about this one verse that we just thought was really funny. And we were, I don't know why we thought it was so funny, but it really was. And it's 2 Timothy 4.13, where it says, When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. And then it says, bring my other stuff, scrolls, especially the parchments. But just this idea that's like, dude, Carpus stole my jacket, my coat. And so it's like, this is scripture, but it's just so clear that this is actually a letter written from Paul to Timothy. He's like, dude, bring my cloak that Carpus has. He was, maybe Carpus, whatever he is, was supposed to bring it, but he didn't. And so Timothy, would you bring it? And then, and then later it says, uh, 2 Timothy 4.21 says, do your best to get here before winter. It's like, bring my jacket for goodness sakes. Maybe it was like a, a North Face cloak that he needed. And it's like, dude, do your best to get here before winter and don't forget my cloak. It's just like, that's what you would include in a letter, right? If someone had your jacket and you're like, dude, it's getting to be winter here. I need my jacket, I need my North Face jacket because I go on so many adventures like this. Has anyone seen this? <laughs> I put the, I didn't make this up. It's, uh, it's called Condescending Wonka. There's tons of these online. And I, I've posted this on a few of my friends who own North Face jackets. So, oh, you have a North Face jacket. You must go on so many adventures. Um, anyways, Paul did go on so many adventures. So maybe it was a North Face cloak. Anyways, comic relief. Let's get back at hand to, here's the map of Rome with an arrow all the way to Ephesus. I, um, uh, I went online and figured out how far it is if, if you go a straight line from Rome to Ephesus, which you really can't because it goes over water and land. But it's like 810 miles. So this letter being written by Paul was hand carried. And the fastest way of traveling back then was like a fast horse, if you could get a hold of one, and a wind-driven sailboat um, across the Mediterranean Sea to take this letter from Rome 810 miles straight there, which you probably can't go straight there. You'd probably have to go around some way, either by water or by land. And so this is a, it took weeks, maybe months, to get this letter from Rome to Ephesus. So the words that are in this are very important. These, these are words um, from Paul, a mentor, to Timothy, um, who he refers to sometimes as his son. And so when we think about Paul, we, we consider that this is a prison epistle, as it's sometimes called, but it's usually not referred to as one of the prison epistles. I'll get to that in a second. Usually the prison epistles are Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And by the way, epistle is just a fancy theological word for letter. So we, we do think that Paul wrote First and Second Timothy and Titus from prison, but those usually aren't part of the prison epistles, but rather those are a part of the pastoral epistles because First and Second Timothy and Titus are very pastoral in nature. Paul is trying to pastor uh, Timothy and Titus and give them advice and wisdom for pastoring their church. And of course, the, the pastor, that word means shepherd, and we have this sense of a shepherd taking care of his flock. And so a lot of the things in First and Second Timothy and then 
by the way, Titus, part of that group, are very pastoral in nature. Here's how to pastor a church. Here's how it should be ordered. Here's what an overseer, a deacon, should be like. Here's what you should do in worship. Be, be careful of false teachers at your church. Kick out so-and-so. They're a false teacher. They've fallen. So some of it's very practical, and maybe what one pastor would write to another, saying, here's some advice for shepherding a congregation. So that's kind of a big overview. Let's talk about Timothy. Anybody like Timothy? Me too. Um, so here's a little picture of him, an ancient icon of Saint Timothy. Um, we find out that, we'll read this passage in a moment, but his mom was Jewish and his dad was Greek. And so he has this background that is both um, uh, Judaic and secular at the time. And so I imagine Timothy was this great individual for, for reaching out to um, for Jewish Christians and Christians that had secular backgrounds, Timothy had this perfect balance of, of his mom being Jewish and his dad being um, secular or Greek. Um, and Timothy's birthplace, he's from a city named Lystra. And so what you're looking at is kind of the, uh, I guess the best way to say is the armpit of Turkey. And so if Turkey is out this way, uh, Lystra is like the bicep of Turkey and down uh, the ribs would be Israel. Um, and so Paul, on his first missionary journey, goes through Lystra. And his first trip there is not a very good one. And I don't think he met Timothy personally because uh, it's on his second missionary journey that he probably meets Timothy in person. But here's the story of his first missionary journey. So this is Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey, which you could track throughout the book of Acts. They go through Lystra, and it says, um, you could read all about this in Acts chapter 14, but basically the story is Paul and Barnabas meet a a crippled man, a man that has never walked since he was born, and they pray over him, and he starts walking. And the people um, are excited about that and knew this man that could never walk and knew the miracle. So the people at the town of Lystra in Turkey think, oh, a Paul is Hermes and Barnabas is Zeus who have come down in human form. And so they start saying, you know, you know, thank goodness for Zeus, and people come out to worship him, and the priest of Zeus come out. And then Paul and Barnabas are, are or of course, no, we're not Zeus and Hermes in human form. Uh, we actually are here to present Jesus. And when they present Jesus, the Jews get mad. And so they actually stone Paul. And it says they leave him for dead. But Paul is still alive. He gets up and then they get the heck out of Lystra. And so that's Paul's missionary journey, number one, to Lystra. And then he starts his second missionary journey, goes back around, can, goes back to Lystra, which if I was him, I would want to avoid Lystra. But obviously he had a lot of courage, had the message of Jesus to proclaim. And so goes back to Lystra, has a much better trip there. He meets uh, Timothy in Acts chapter 16. You could read about it. I'll put it up here and just read this little section. Um, this is Acts chapter 16. Uh, it just says, Paul came to Derby and then went to Lystra. That's Timothy's hometown. Um, the same Lystra that we just talked about where they thought he was uh, Hermes and Barnabas was Zeus. But anyways, it says, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, um, so a Christian, and whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him, so they spoke well of Timothy. He's a good guy. Um, Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he had him circumcised because of the Jews that lived in the area, for they all knew his father was a Greek. And as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey, so the churches were strengthened in faith and grew daily in numbers. So how cool is that? That there's Timothy... He gets picked up by Paul. The people speak so well of him. What I find interesting is that if you, so this is Acts chapter 16. 
Acts chapter 15, they just came from Jerusalem where they have this long, drawn-out conversation with all the disciples and apostles about the importance of circumcision. And they say that we don't need circumcision to be saved. You do not need to follow the Jewish patterns of the Old Testament to be saved. You don't need to do that. We are under a new covenant now, and so the old has been fulfilled in Jesus, so you don't need to get circumcised. And then what's Paul do to bring Timothy with him? He circumcises him. And if you don't know what that is, I have just a quick video uh, tutorial of that. Here it is, the video. (laughs) Anyways, forget that. So you just got rickrolled. I wouldn't show a video of that. Moving right along. um, So that's this this relationship between Paul and Timothy um, is, is kind of like father and son. So here's a picture of a father and a son holding hands. And 1 Timothy 1.12 says, uh, To Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace and mercy and peace to you, you from God the Father. 1 Corinthians 4.17 says, um, so it's just greetings and saying, For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. And so it's not only that, that, that Paul considers Timothy like a son, but it's also this idea that Paul partners with Timothy in ministry, because we have these certain books of the Bible who, like Philippians, 2 Corinthians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, are always referred to as books written by Paul, of course. Um, I remember uh, we were going over some of these books. It seemed like it happened like every week, but it probably was just exaggerated in my mind. But way back in the day when I was in college in Utah, we, we had this little Sunday school, uh, and this old, older lady taught us, and she just pretty much had the same message that Christ died for us, and we're, we don't have to work for our salvation. So every week was the same message, but it was kind of fun to meet the other college kids um, a part of this Sunday school. But anyways, she'd always say, okay, so we're studying Philippians. Who wrote Philippians? And the whole class would say, Paul. And I would always say, Paul and Timothy. And she'd be like, what? How do you know that? And then we got to the book of like Colossians. She's like, all right, we're going to be studying Colossians. Who wrote it? And everybody would yell out, Paul. And I'd yell out, Paul and Timothy, because it actually says that. So these books are all written by Paul and Timothy. Like Philippians 1.1 says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ. 2 Timothy, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 1.1 says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And Timothy, our brother, to the church in Corinth. Colossians, Paul, an apostle of Jesus by the will of God. And Timothy, our brother. Um, And then 1 Thessalonians 1.1, Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church at Thessal- Thessal- to the church of the Thessalonians and second Timothy second Thessalonians one one Paul Silas and Timothy to the church of Thessalonians God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and so these letters are all signed Paul and Timothy at least these ones are and so it's like well Timothy was obviously there Timothy was a part of the letter in some way Timothy may have just been sitting around Timothy may have just been part of the missionary journey itself and so the the letter's really written by Paul, or was part of it actually written by Timothy? Um, and it kind of goes back and forth. Maybe it was a conversational letter where Paul and Timothy are writing it down. Is it, what should we say next? Well, we should say this. Okay, writing it down. Good. Um, and so Paul and Timothy have this relationship that is very much father and son, mentor, mentee, and this, this partnership in the faith. And so that's kind of the, the background of the letters, the background of Timothy. And so now let's get into the letters themselves, a summary of the two letters. And so I'm about to talk um, pretty fast. If you're taking notes down, these are basically notes of, of just an outline. And a lot of your Bibles, if they're study Bibles, um, a lot of your commentaries, I think every commentary, usually begins um, the books of the Bible with like an introduction 
and an outline of what you're about to read, which I think is a great place to start if you're reading a book of the Bible, because if you get lost along the way, at least you know big generalities of where this letter has been and where this letter is going so that you can understand it more. So I'm about to go over all 10 chapters of First and Second Timothy, the six chapters of First Timothy, the four chapters of Second Timothy, quickly. And so if you're taking notes, I imagine you have to be kind of quick about it. Um, and so anyways, without further ado, First uh, Timothy, chapter overview, all six chapters. Here we go. Chapter one, Timothy, um, just ba- uh, Paul basically just introduces the letter. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the command of God, our Savior, and Christ Jesus, um, who is our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith. And then part of the chapter one. So usually you begin a letter with maybe some of the most important things first, which is um, Aaron Higgins, when he made his comment about what you would, advice you would give to a young Christian if you were moving off, um, was be aware of false teachings, false doctrines, which is exactly how Paul opens up this letter with Timothy. Um, verse three says, I urged you when I went to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus. So where is Timothy? He's in Ephesus. He's probably one of the main pastors there leading this congregation. And he says, Stay there in Ephesus that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer. And so what were they teaching exactly? Well, it's always kind of vague and broad as to what exactly they were teaching. But there is some hints throughout the first and second Timothy and Titus about what these false teachers could have been teaching. And that is that the resurrection already happened. uh, That they were preaching um, not to get married. And so imagine if like the mill teaching was like, don't get married, don't date, you would be like, what? <laughs> You'd probably all leave, um, <laughs> I imagine. But that's what, for some reason, they were teaching not to get married. Like, do not get married, it's wrong. Or I don't know what exactly was going on, but they were preaching the resurrection has already happened, not to get married, to restrain from certain foods. And so that was a big deal with Paul, that he's saying that all food has been made clean. And so for some reason, false doctrine was teaching, oh, you have to eat in a certain way these certain foods to be saved or something. And then finally, that potentially there's hints that these false teachers were teaching of another Christ who came, which would be totally heretical. So that's kind of chapter one. Chapter number two, it begins with uh, how to do public worship. And he says um, things like the order, the bigger principles of have order when you, when you gather together in worship. Uh, verse 8 says, this really interesting verse that I've heard quoted around New Life. It says, uh, so Second Timothy, First Timothy, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 8 says, Pray, lifting up holy hands without anger and disputing. And so what's that really mean? Well, I've heard New Lifers say, see, we're supposed to be raising our hands in church. If you've ever been you know, to New Life and you're not from New Life, you're from more traditional church, maybe one of the first things you notice is, why is everybody raising your hands? Uh, but I've heard this verse quoted as like, see, look, we're supposed to raise our hands. It says when we gather, lift your hands without anger or disputing. Is that really what this is saying? I'm actually not sure. I just think it's interesting that it's in there. So the bigger idea in this uh, pub, in public worship is for order and for how things are supposed to be. And then he gets to this very infamous passage in 1 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse like 11-ish. Um, he basically says that women are to be silent in the church. And so all the ladies say, what? <laughs> and it is this, this infamous passage in 1 Timothy. Timothy chapter 2, because it says this. I'll just read it for you. It says, a woman should learn in quietness. And it says, so it's Paul to Timothy and his church at Ephesus. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She must be silent, is what it says. And then we begin to wonder, okay, how, if, if the Bible is just written to us, like going back to this big principle of 
hermeneutics and exegesis. Um, if the Bible is just written directly to us, and the Bible says it, I believe it, therefore, I period, you know, I do it, um, then we, we would take this verse and just be like, yep, women, be quiet. If, if you need a muzzle when you come in, we, we got them for you. They're in the back, just put one on. Um, just be quiet when you come in here. You're not allowed to discuss. You're not allowed to say anything. Um, you just need to be silent is what this verse says. And it's like, okay, if the Bible's really written to us, which, which I would argue, and I have just already argued like five minutes ago, that I would say this letter's not to us, it's for us, then what are some of the principles here that we should take away? Should we look at this and say, um, maybe there's roles for men and women? I don't know. Should we look at this and say, um, women should not say anything in church? I, th- I think we live in a very different time, in a very different place. You know, if we consider this letter was written in the Middle East, um, about 2,000 years ago, when unfortunately women were not educated at all. Unfortunately, women were seen more as property. It's just the unfortunateness of living a long time ago in the Middle East, um, and maybe even today in the Middle East in some places. That's the culture, that women are more property. Women are not educated. They are not considered equal. Whereas today, I think, praise God, in America, women are equal. They do have something to say. Um, if we were just to keep women silent in the churches and didn't say anything to anyone, then I think we'd be missing out on a, like, 50 percent of the body of Christ and what they have. And so how, what should we do with, with hard verses like this? I think it's the same thing we do with all verses in the Bible, which is to know that it's not written to us, it's written for us. And so how, what do we do with that? Well, we look at the author, the audience, the context, the culture, with every single verse of the Bible. And we have to really do due diligence to say, this verse is for us, we should, we should carry this one out because of this reason and that reason. And the culture says that, you know, that, that things are still the same. Whereas some things may have changed. And I would argue that this is one of the verses that we could look at in the context of being 2,000 years later in the United States with equal rights um, and say that this verse may have been for a time at Ephesus for whatever reason, and it's maybe not for today. Just like the verse that's right before it. So maybe a little comic relief here. But it says this. So this is verse 9. If you're looking at it, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9. It says, likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modesty, and discretion, which I think is just great general advice for now, too. But then he says this, not with braided hair. It's like, I want a woman to dress modestly and, 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 and discreetly, not with braided hair. Like, that's the thing. So I'm looking around if there's any braided hair girls in here. I'm so sorry to embarrass you. But um, so I have a picture of a girl with braided hair, this little Jezebel. I mean, can you imagine... If she showed up to church dressed like this, like, get her out of here. Shame on her parents for the braided hair. Can you believe that this little girl could show up to church like this with two braided pigtails? I mean, my goodness, the indecency, the horror of, of, of this. And so it, hopefully this, you could see the humor here that, that we would see this picture as there's nothing indecent or immodest about this little girl with braided pigtails. Um, but she has braided hair, which Paul says not to do. And so obviously we would joke about this verse, verse 9, and say, oh, well, in the culture of the time, um, maybe we could talk about, oh, maybe that's how the prostitutes dressed, or maybe that was some symbol of sexuality, or maybe the, in some way the hair um, was, was showing off your hair, was immodest or something. I, I don't even know exactly what was going on here, but it seems. For Paul, 
for Paul to write to Timothy saying, women, don't braid your hair. It's immodest. It's indecent. Um, we would look at that today in 2012 at New Life and just be like, well, we, we would hold this, that verse not to be serious because it's in a different culture and context. And so we could potentially do that with other verses. And we should, I would argue, do that with every verse of the Bible. Do our due diligence to know that the Bible's not written to us, but for us. And so look seriously at the context, the culture, the audience, the author of the text. And so um, let's get this little Jezebel off the screen and move right along. Anyways, you know I'm kidding, right? Okay, good. Um, number three, chapter number three is specifically about overs, overseers and deacons. Um, moving right along, he, he says that they should, if they desire to be, if someone desires to be an overseer or a deacon, they desire a noble thing, but they should live their lives in certain ways. And he lists a bunch of things. Um, of, the, of the most important, he says they should not love money. So if you're giving a person a position of leadership, like an overseer or a deacon over a congregation, make sure that these men are, do not have greed and the love of money. And so that's just very practical advice for how to choose your leaders. He says a few other things um, about overseers and deacons, but um, moving right along to chapter number four in First Timothy, um, it talks again about these false teachers. Chapter four, verse one says, the spirit clearly says in later times, some will abandon their faith and follow deceiving spirits, things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars. So he's being very careful to, to make sure that Timothy puts an end to any heretical teaching. And this bigger, bigger idea, I think, over First and Second Timothy is so that believers and so that Timothy himself may live a life uh, worthy, fight the good fight, and remain steadfast throughout their Christian life. And what could seriously detriment that would be false teaching. So get that out of there. Um, and then a very famous verse. So he talks about false teachers in chapter 4. Um, also this very famous verse, uh, First, First Timothy chapter 4, verse 12 says, Do not let anyone look down on you because of your young age, but set an example for the other believers. So this is a verse that um, I remember hearing in high school, um, just that don't let anyone look down on you. You do have something to offer the body of Christ. Set an example in faith. Even though you're young, uh, don't let people look down on you. You, you, are, you are a believer and an important believer and potentially an important leader in this church, even though Timothy was young. I'm not sure how old he was. There's different guesses out there. But um, he was young for the congregation and a leader of that church. But don't let anyone look down on you. So, verse, uh, chapter, excuse me, 5, widows, elders, and slaves. In this chapter, he's very practical about how to take care of widows. And, and make sure you're taking care of the right widows. If they're a young widow, well, then they should probably remarry. Um, but if they're an older widow, then you need to take care of these women because they, they, they probably won't get remarried. And uh, women at that time, you know, going back to what we just said, were not educated. They were treated as property. So if a woman did not have a husband, well, then she was kind of down and out. She didn't have anything. Um, she, maybe the women couldn't work back then in this particular um, case in Ephesus. I don't know, but they needed to be taken care of. And so Paul to Timothy says, make sure you're taking care of elders. He gives um, very uh, specific direction for how to take care of widows and elders and slaves. And then moving right along to the last chapter of this uh, book, 1 Timothy chapter 6, um, he basically says, once again, false teachers, how they can, they can take away from the body, how they could stop believers from being steadfast and carrying on. He says in chapter 6, verse 3, if anyone teaches unwise, uh, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of the Lord Jesus Christ and to godly 
godly teaching, they are conceited, understanding nothing. And so watch out for them. Watch out for these false teachers. And then finally, he ends the letter with a charge. He says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Verse 12, fight the good fight of the faith. And so that's how he ends this letter. Also, um, well, I'll just kind of say that I think that that is this bigger theme of both of these books. That that phrase, fight the good fight, remain steadfast. Is, we see it over and over again that, that, that that's Paul's main direction to Timothy. It's just keep on keeping on. You're doing the right thing. Keep consistent. Keep going in that direction. Um, and we think that First Timothy was written, and then maybe the same year, maybe the next year, within a short amount of time, at least as far as the ancient world is concerned, Second Timothy was written. And so to, to overview, this, this book only has four chapters, so it'll be quicker here. Um, so 2 Timothy, chapter 1, he begins with just his greetings to Timothy, my dear son. So once again, this, this father-son relationship that Paul and Timothy must have had. And then uh, verse 5 says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. And so he encourages Timothy and says, who first lived in your grandmother Lois, and then in your mother Eunice, and now I am persuaded also lives in you. So this, this spirit, this sincere faith that lived in your grandma, that lived in your mom, and now lives in you. So what an encouragement that you've come from this great family and are continuing on in the faith. Greetings to you. Um, chapter 2, once again, false teachers. Um, he says, their teaching will spread like gangrene. Gross. And then he says, among them are Hymenus and Philetus. So he's like calling out people, throwing them under the bus, saying these guys are false teachers who have already departed from the truth. So watch out for them. This is specific um, advice to, to watch out for these two clowns who are teaching stuff that is like gangrene to the church that will consume the body and rot the, the body of the church. And so watch out for these guys. So false teachers, and he charges Timothy. There's a lot of charges in First and Second Timothy, which is in some ways Timothy's burden to keep on with the faith, to keep fighting the good fight. Um, and then this very famous verse in chapter 2, uh, 22 says, flee the evil desires of youth. Because once again, we think that Timothy was very young, a young leader. So flee the desires of youth. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And so that's chapter 2. Chapter 3, another charge. Um, like specifically verse 14, but as for you, continue what you've learned and have become convinced of. Keep up the battle. So again, this idea, keep on keeping on. Flee the desires of youth. Um, keep, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but keep on keeping on. Keep doing what you're doing. Fight the good fight. Um, continue what you've learned in. And then finally, verse number four, some departing remarks, like we already talked about, bring my cloak. Make sure you get here before winter. Um, and then uh, goodbyes, saying, you know, the, this final verse, which I'm going to conclude with um, in just a second, where Paul pretty much says, I have fought the good fight. Continue after me. I am being poured out. I am almost about to depart this world. Um, and he says, Timothy, can continue fighting the good fight. And so it's with this idea, I, I know that Paul just told Timothy to make sure he brings his cloak Make sure you get here before winter. But I think Paul had on his heart this idea, um, th this idea that he was about to die. Um, potentially, we don't know this from sure from the context of Scripture, but other sources may um, tell us that Paul was brought maybe even into this Colosseum that is in Rome that you can go visit today. Anybody been there and seen this big Colosseum in Rome? Oh, wow. 
quite a few hints. Um, so potentially this is where Paul was killed in maybe 67 AD, maybe under Emperor Nero, who led this charge out to kill all the Christians. Um, we think that Paul may have been killed by gladiators or lions, uh, like other groups of Christians were killed in the first century for sport, for a spectacle. People would go watch this death actually happened before their eyes into a horrible group of people that they thought were evil, the Christians, who in a couple hundred years, Christianity would then become the, the Roman Empire's religion. But at this point in time, Christians were heavily persecuted. Paul may have known he's in prison. He may be next in line um, at some point for, for, for going to the Colosseum to give up his life. And so he says this, kind of these final departing words in the book of Second Timothy uh, Paul to Timothy says, for I am being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. Kind of sounds depressing, like his departing Rome. Well, let's continue. It sounds like he's, he's talking about his own death and departing from this life, because he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. So it seems to me very clearly that he's talking about his own death, and it coming quickly. And not only to me, but to all those who have longed for his appearing. And so I think the, the letters of First and Second Timothy hold this weight about the, where Paul, this father figure, this mentor figure for Timothy, <clears throat> in some way Paul knows that his, he's not going to live very much longer. I, I see clearly from this passage that he's, he's saying that. He's saying he's fought the good fight. He's going to go on to the next world, receive the crown of righteousness. And so I see the letters of First and Second Timothy, this, this, this blaring to me, this theme again and again, that we are to hold fast, that we are to be serious about our faith, that we are to flee desires of youth, that, that not to let anyone look down on us, but we should keep on keeping on. We should hold fast to the faith, continue fighting the fight. And sometimes it is that. It is a fight to keep the faith and to keep ourselves holy and worthy of the calling we have received. And so I see this as a very big theme in First and Second Timothy. So if you're um, interested in what we're going to talk about next week, I'm going to talk about this theme, uh, this theme of holding fast and fighting the fight that we see again and again in First and Second Timothy. But I think that kind of concludes our talk today. We're ending a, just a little early. So let's pray. Um, Lord, we do come to you as, as followers and believers. And, and God, these, these words of wisdom that Paul gave Timothy a long time ago, God, may, may we understand them for today. May we um, and take encouragement for, for today on how you want us to live, what you want us to do in the faith. God, give us wisdom and knowledge and courage as we do fight the good fight that, that is before us and remaining Christians and remaining strong in the faith. Lord, we do love you and we praise your holy name. Um, we just leave here excited. We leave here knowing that, that you do give us courage, that you do give us strength for fighting the good fight. So we praise your name today. And everybody said, amen. All right, guys. Well, uh, you're li- we're just closing a little early, so meet a few people before you leave. If there's some more coffee, get it on the way out. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. You can find more information at www.themillonline.org.